0: connection churches podcast good morning church how you doing I wish I could do that more passionately but that's kind of about what I got so anyway how many of you are still struggling with heartbreak uh from football yesterday anybody 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 yeah 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 me too man but I'm proud of our Eagles man what a game I'm so proud they didn't quit after the first half that was awesome and uh Glad to see them battle, man. It takes a lot of character to do that, and that was cool to see. And then our dogs let us down again. So if you're a Tech fan or a South Carolina fan, we love you. Um, we'll pray for you because you need prayer. But. Um, Anyway, we are, we're glad you're here too. Um, but anyway, I do want to uh, get into the, the, the fourth week of the All In series and uh, I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm as excited about this message as I have been any message uh, in a long time. And uh, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Uh, before we jump in and get going, one real quick announcement that I wanted to make to you. When you leave here today, we're gonna offer you a baby bottle. It's not because we're telling you we think you're immature. It's because we support a ministry I'm um, called Choices of the Heart. It's actually a crisis pregnancy. Um, center and what they do is when uh, maybe a girl gets pregnant, she doesn't know what to do. They help her and they provide an alternative uh, to abortion. And so we we very, feel very strongly about that. We want to help them and support them. And so when you get this baby bottle, what we ask you to do is take it with you. Um, put in a change that you may have, or uh, you can put in hundred dollar bills if you want to. I know they'd appreciate that. But whatever you feel like the Lord's leading you to put in there, um, we'd love for you to take that. put something in it and bring it back next week, um, the next couple of weeks, if you will, just bring it back. We're going to give all of that to them. Um, It's one of their biggest fundraisers that really helps them. Uh, It's something we enjoy doing with our our children, uh, letting them put change and things in that they have, have or that they've earned. And so I'd encourage you to do that um, as we, uh, as we continue to support this ministry that we believe so much in. So uh, pray about that. Take one with you, if you will. And let's, uh, let's see what God does through us as we give generously to uh, Choices of the Heart and their ministry. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter eight is where we're gonna be. Uh, We're gonna continue the series All In and uh, basically this is the fourth week. We've been looking at All In, we've been looking at these cultures that are so important for the church, cultures that we believe we need to be All In uh, with in order for the church to fulfill its potential. So that um, if we're gonna fulfill the potential that God's given the church and if we're gonna do what Jesus says that we would uh, continue to, Advance his kingdom; that the church would prevail, and not even the gates of hell would prevail against the church. We believe this is; for, these are four things that God really does in us and through us so that um, the church becomes that unstoppable force. Um, the first one we looked at was uh, community. We believe community is super important. We can't do life alone. The second one we looked at was serving. Um, we believe that God's called us to serve both in the church and outside the church to show people the love of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Christ. Um, last week we looked at evangelism and how we're all called to be a part of God's mission to the world, carrying the gospel. And today we're going to look at everybody's favorite, we're going to look at generosity. And so. We're we're going to talk about that today. It's going to be awesome. Um, I know a lot of times when you hear somebody say, well, we're going to be talking about money or we're going to be talking about generosity. Or, we're going to talk about giving. You know, it's like some of you right now would be like, oh, if I could get out the door without being seen, I would. Right. And so the thing I would tell you though, is I, I hope that when you leave here today, you see this differently, that you, you feel differently about it. Um, because the greatest thing that centers around generosity is the gospel, which is the greatest news that any of us have ever heard. And so I want you to think about this from those terms that God is the most generous. Uh, being that there's ever been. Um, he gave generously of his son as we're going to see in this message, and this is really a gospel driven message about generosity, about God's generosity to us. Um, I do believe uh, that, that, that it's important for us. It's important for uh, the kingdom of God. Um, and, and I hope you see that God's not after your money, he's after your heart. and that's the most important thing to God is that he doesn't want our money. If he needed anything, he would create it, right? But he just, uh, he wants our hearts. And so many times our money is linked to our hearts. Uh, to show you that this is not a message to scream at you about writing bigger checks or writing a check, I, I wanna celebrate with you the generosity of this church because this church has grown in generosity over the last year. It's been incredible to see that um, on average, our general offering has increased by 24%, which is incredible. We've seen just a, you can class, give <laughs> to clap for that. because. Here's the thing I want you to understand about that. It's not that we celebrate we have more money. We celebrate that, listen, uh, giving and generosity is an indicator of the condition of our heart. And so when people begin to give, it's so exciting to see that God's grabbing hold of their heart. That's what that tells us. And so we're very thankful for that. The other thing um, that, that we see is that over the last year, the attendance of the church has increased by 32%. That's great and that's good. And we're excited about that too. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. We're gonna pre- Teach the gospel to every person that Jesus brings into this church but what's what's so cool to me is that for the first time I um, our giving, our number of new givers, that percentage has increased greater and more rapidly than those, uh, the number or percentage of attendance that's increased. So that attendance has increased 32%, but the number of new givers has increased 53% over the last year, which is so cool again, because it's showing that God is grabbing hold of people's hearts. They're, they're, they're becoming less about their own kingdom. We're becoming less about our kingdom. We're becoming more about God's kingdom. And that's what's so exciting about that. Listen, if you had told me that we'd be where we are with the one-in-one project right now, I would have told you you must be on some kind of drug that has impaired your thinking because last November, I never thought we would be in a situation where we would have our steel erected, walls going up around the building, and and seeing God put this thing together in the way that he has. But your, your generosity is doing that. And so this is not to yell at you. This is to point you again to the gospel of God that he gave so generously his son and so that you can understand how generous God has been to us, amen? And so we're going to talk about that, Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read verses 1 through 9 to you, and then we're going to jump in and see what God has to say to us through these verses. Uh, It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, "Um, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the context of what Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, I want you to understand that this is about Paul raising an offering, um, raising money for the church in Jerusalem. So he's is now writing to the Corinthians. He's talking about another church in Macedonia, uh or in this area of Macedonia, and he's saying, Listen, um, this these monies that we're raising is going back to Jerusalem to, to help with a um famine that's been taking place. And so that's the context of this. So he's writing, he says, Let me tell you about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. He says, Out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, those saints that they're sending that money back to. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since we had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel, also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So in other words, he's saying, Corinthians, look, I want to see if you respond to the gospel. I want to see if you respond to God the same way that the Macedonians have. Verse 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today, God, to be able to uh, just open your word, God. Make us hungry for your word, God. Make us long for more of your presence, God. Today I pray that your spirit would indeed be poured out on us, that, that God, you would show us a deeper understanding of your grace as we look at your generosity and how you've called us to be generous, Lord. God, I pray that um, you would speak to someone's heart here today that doesn't know you and that they would respond to you calling their name. I pray that for many of us, God, today that you would speak to some area of our life that um, we aren't surrendered to you, that's robbing us of joy and robbing us of um, more fellowship with you, God. I pray that you would just speak to us through your word. Let it be good seed in our hearts. Let our hearts be good soil and let it produce great fruit in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen Amen. I don't know how many of you follow me, maybe on Twitter or Instagram, or uh, you see things on Facebook, but this week, I had a little bit of an adventure, a little bit of a mishap, and that mishap included uh, a little wreck on a tractor. Anybody see that on uh, social media? Yeah, a little, little wreck. Basically, what happened is I was going to load this tractor onto a trailer. Um, and it didn't turn out so well. And so, what happened? I started up the trailer. The trailer or the tractor decided it would pop a wheelie. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on a tractor that pops a wheelie. Not a lot of fun, and so when it pops a wheelie, I'm literally riding this tractor, popping a wheelie, looking up at the sky, thinking, unto you Lord, I commit my spirit, for I am about to die. That's exactly kind of the thought I was having along with how do I stop this thing. Couldn't seem to get it to stop, so I'm just riding it. I'm looking up like this, riding this thing, thinking I'm about to die. Um, I'm riding it. The tires are hitting the rail going down the side of the trailer. I'm thinking maybe when I get to the end, it'll stop it, and I can get off, and all will be well, but instead of that happening the rail broke and so the truck the tractor pile in a in a wheelie starts going off of the trailer um thankfully I have cat-like reflexes and I was able to jump off of the trailer the tractor right and spared my life and so I jumped off road, the trailer comes or tractor comes off the trailer lands on its side I was kidding about the cat-like reflexes it lands on its side and, and, and I roll over and look, you know, and, and I'm like, got grass in my hair, all dirty all over, you know. Uh, and I turn around, and my two youngest children, Jackson, who's eight, and Reed, who's three, had stayed home that day, um, and I'd kept them because they weren't feeling well. And so they were out there along with my dad, and, and I look over, Jackson's standing over, um, we had moved them away. He's standing over there going, ah, he thinks his dad's dead, right? And so I'm like, it's okay, Jackson, it's okay. And then just to show you the difference in their personalities, Reed's over there going, Daddy's tough. Daddy's tough. Daddy's tough. And I'm like, you dang right. Daddy's tough. That's right. And so, and then, and then my dad. You know, if you, he's got a um, amputated leg, and so he rides in a wheelchair a lot. And so, like, he can't even see me on the other side of the track there. So he kind of just comes scooting around in the wheelchair. And he kind of gets over there, and he he he's like. Hey, you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, you know? And and so um, we get up and and, and then we're like, how do we get it back up? So I was like, let's just pray it up, you know? So we kind of did the the Yoda Skywalker thing, raising the plane up out of the swamp. So we just kind of were like this. My dad was like, concentrate, you know? And I was like. And I was like, ah, and he was like, use the force. I was like, so it finally came out. Actually, I hooked a chain around the axle and pulled it over. And and so uh, didn't die. Thankfully survived that, lived through that. Uh, My kids may be permanently scarred from that, but either way, we we all came out of it. And uh, I was thinking about it this week because see, here's what my intentions were. My intentions were, I'm going to load this tractor up on a trailer. I'm going to take it and drive it out to a house that we finally bought a house. Praise Jesus, right? (laughs) Who sits at the right hand of the father, makes intercession for the Saints right? And, and so we finally have a place um, we're going to move into pretty soon. And I was going to take it, but my intentions didn't work out. I thought that that was going to serve my purposes and do it, provide for me what I, I wanted, right? Instead, it ends up literally almost upside down. If not for the roll bar, it would have probably been upside down or either on its other side on top of me. And so I was thinking about that in terms of how Jesus came into the world, because see, here's what the apostles were thinking. Here's what they would have been thinking when Jesus came into the world is that he is the... The Messiah, once they recognize that, this is what they would have thought. They would have thought he is about to restore Israel as a political center, as, as a, a great nation that's going to, going to again, um, dominate. We're going to have a kingdom that's going to be for us. He's going to give us all things. I mean, they even asked those questions, right? Like, what do we get for this Jesus? And he's, and they would have thought Jesus is going to give us all things now. He's going to give us all this blessing now, all of these things now. But see, here's what Jesus did just It's like that tractor flipped over on me Jesus took all of their mindsets and all the ways that they think and he flipped them over and this is what they had to learn is that Jesus didn't come to give them a bunch of things now he came to give them his righteousness now and he came to teach them to give all things now so that in eternity they could live with God and gain things that they could never lose. That's what he wanted to teach him, and he flipped it completely upside down. Paul even learned this himself later as Jesus appeared to him. See, Jesus came to teach us, if you'll give now, if you'll be generous now, if you won't cling to things now, then you're going to store them up in a place called heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and you won't just enjoy them for the temporary short-term time, but you'll be able to enjoy them for eternity With God. It's a greater treasure. It's a treasure you can't lose. And so Jesus teaches us give now, enjoy eternity with God later. We don't give so that we'll be saved. God gave so we're saved by putting our faith in Jesus. But he calls us to give to the kingdom, to be generous to others, to show his love to them. And so God calls us to live in this mindset, to live this way. Typically, when we start talking about generosity, giving money in the church, the first thing that we start talking about is the tithe. And, and, and again, I, there's just... I will agree to disagree with some people because I hear a lot of people teach this. You give 10% to God, you give 10% to your savings account, and then you live off of 80. The problem I have with that is 10% of it's not God's, 100% of it's God's. And so God calls us to steward it all. It's all to be laid at his feet to decide how it's used. When it comes to the tithe, I do believe, and a lot of people debate this, that the tithe is a New Testament concept, just like it was an Old Testament concept. You can read Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus upholds the tithe. But the thing that I do see in the New Testament is this, that the New Testament is surprisingly quiet when it does come to the tithe. It speaks a lot about money, it speaks a lot about giving, but it's surprisingly quiet when it comes to the tithe and the reason that I believe that that happens and the reason that I believe um, the New Testament does that is because the New Testament takes much more of an emphasis on what happens to us internally through heart transformation than what it is that we need to do through external effort in obedience to these different rules and laws. And so this is what I would say as Christians. We need to focus more on the internal rather than the external. Many of us deal with sin. Many of us deal with things in our life. And the problem is we keep focusing on the problem rather than the solution. When it comes to giving, this is what I, and I want to explain what I think so you don't walk out and call me a heretic because, I mean, that's never happened before. And so I want you to understand this when I say this is that the reality of it is, I believe as Christians, we need to move beyond the tithe. It's not that we don't need to talk about it. But it shouldn't be our basis or our standard for giving. Our standard for generosity is the changed heart that Jesus has given us. I believe that as you look at the New Testament, Jesus never lowered a standard that was established in the old. For instance, when Jesus began to talk about um, murder, he said, even if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. When he's talked about adultery, he said, you don't even have to touch or just lust after, You're, you're guilty of adultery. He never lowered a standard. So as we look at the New Testament, I don't believe that God asked Less from those of us who are Christians who have been filled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament than he would those in the Old Testament who weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe he would ask more. And so I believe we should get beyond the tithe from the standpoint that our lifestyle becomes a life of generosity, that some 10% number becomes a floor, not a ceiling, and we just continue to grow in our faith and grow in the likeness of Christ so that we become more and more generous as we go. It shouldn't be something that we're bound to a law and to a rule so that we have to give something. It should be, man, I am blessed. God has given to me. My heart is I want to give. See, many times I hear this when people come to me and they're talking about their relationship with their boyfriend or girlfriend. This is what they'll say. How far is too far? And when they say that, I know they're asking the wrong question because the question is not asked so that I don't sin. The question is asked because I want to take every inch I can get right? And the same thing with us many times, we'll say, well, how much do I have to give? Do I have to give off of my gross? Do I get off of my net? The question is, is it's the wrong question because we're not asking so that we want to make sure we don't give too much. We're asking because we we just want to give the bare minimum, right? And so the question we need to be asking is, and how much do I get to give? How much can I give? If I were to make some sacrifices, how much could I give to the kingdom? How much could I give to the kingdom? I believe that there's four places that we give. There are four places that we spend our money, that we spend our resources. The first, and we usually get these backwards, is I believe it's the local church. I believe with all my heart that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that God has given the gospel and the good news of Jesus to the local church so that we can proclaim it. Then I believe we should give to other missions organizations and places that, 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 that we are, are making a difference that are reaching people, I believe then that we should save some money and then I believe we should live. But typically this is what we do. We, we, we live and we live, <laughs> live it up and then we might try to save a little bit and then if we got a friend in missions, we'll give them something and then maybe if something's left over, we give it to the church. But I believe this, if the church is doing what the church is called to do and if we're not, we need to shut the doors and go do something else, then, then the church should be the greatest hope that the world has. Because we should be proclaiming the gospel, we should be living the gospel, and we should be a light and a dark place that points people to the reality and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what God's called us to be. Today, out of this text and out of these scriptures, I want to real quickly um, go through this, this chapter and just talk about a few things that I see in this. Because one of the things that I believe with all my heart is that um, God wants us to be generous. But I think many times, as we have with many things, the church has sort of jacked up and hijacked the message of the gospel so that we could get what we want from people. I want to live in a way that we just trust that if we'll preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit changes hearts and changes lives, God's going to provide everything we need. And so here we are. We're going to read through this. I want to give you some things, some points that I believe this scripture teaches that I think are important. I want you to see the heart from which God wants us to be generous. Just like last week, we looked at how does God want us to go into the world and proclaim his message. I want us to look at how does God want us to be generous. And as my my heart, as the pastor of the church, is this is how I want us to give. This is how I want us to live. This is the way I want our lives to be lived out. And so let's read through these verses. Again, we'll take them and we'll take them almost one at a time, maybe combining a few, and then we'll talk about them. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The first thing I would have you write down or the first point, or way that I believe God calls us to give and the way that I would want you to give is that I want you to give because the work of Jesus or the work that Jesus has done in you transforms you. I want you to give because the work Jesus has done in you transforms you. See, as Paul is writing to these Corinthians who had sort of quit on their giving, he's writing to them to, to raise this money for the Jerusalem church, but in this section where he's going to be talking so much about generosity, and even in the NIV, the title of that section is Generosity Encouraged." I want you to see that the first thing he goes to is not, you need to give this money, but he goes to what? Grace. He goes to grace and he says, brothers, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Why are the Macedonians giving? Because the grace of God has worked in them. See, I want you to understand, I want you to learn, I want you to experience that the fact, this fact, that generosity is a result of experiencing grace, not guilt generosity is the result of experiencing grace not experiencing guilt see this is what I know I could come in here today I could yell at you about not giving I could I could say all of this stuff I could put you under this yoke of bondage to to try to to try to give but that's not what I feel I'm called to do my job is to point you to Jesus who changes your heart does a great work in you through his grace and then we want others to experience what God is doing and so we want to be generous to other people it it, is it's just a backwards way of thinking compared to how most of us have always thought about it. But I believe this, when God generously imparts his grace into your heart through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there's something in us that says, I want to give back to him and his kingdom. I want him to to have this. I want God to use this. And some people say, well, I don't know what you're going to do with the money when I give it to you. Well, you know what? One day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for that. And the reality of it is, why would you trust your spiritual growth and your the, the maturity of your soul to a church uh, if, if and you wouldn't trust us with finances? I would dare say this. I would love to find a church that does what we and I'm not this is not bragging, this is just the, the power of God that does what we do and what we do it with. Because God has done exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. I want you to understand we don't give out of guilt, we give out of grace. We give out of gratitude for what Jesus has given us. Listen to verse two again. He says, out of the most severe trial, listen to this, severe trial, they're overflowing joy, they're overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Think into those words. Out of a severe trial, they're going through a difficult time, they overflowed with joy. Out of a time of extreme poverty, It welled up into rich generosity. The thing I see in this is that generosity is not determined by our external circumstances as much as it is our internal condition. They weren't in a situation that they looked like they could be very generous, but but because of what God had done in their heart, they found a way. See, verse 2 teaches us that, that generosity comes from what God does within, not what's going on outside. And I want you to grab hold of that. See, you can look really good on the outside, but be dying on the inside. So many times we look at people who seem to have less, and yet they're the ones rejoicing on the inside. Many times we, we can look at people, and on the outside they look great, but how many people in here right now, you, you got dolled up, or you, you, you got, uh, you know... Uh, 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 you got, you got all fixed this morning and, and, and you look great. But on the inside, we're, we're dying. We're not, we're not content. We're not happy. We're not satisfied on the outside. We can look great and be dying on the inside. And sometimes on the out, outside, we can look like crap and be doing really well on the inside. Right. And, and it's just because what we always see isn't what is always there. And we need to come to this place of realizing that many times, many, many, many times, we we think that people with less are doing worse, but in many times, when we're generous, we have less, but we're doing so much better. You can't always look at outward appearances and know what's in someone's heart. I was out running one time at Mill Creek. I used to run out there some before it got hot as Hades and you can't run out there hardly anymore. And so I was out running and I got out of the truck one day and sometimes I'll see somebody and I'll be like, I'm gonna try to outrun that person. And so this day it didn't feel real, real good. And so I got out and I saw this guy who he was this old man. He was probably like seventy five hundred. Right. I mean, he was he was old. And I was like, I'm going to get in front of that guy. I'm not going to let that guy catch me, you know. And so I get out and I'm running, you know, like Forrest. I was just running, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm going and, and, and I look back and this guy's gaining on me. I'm like, he can't catch me. I don't let him catch me. So I'm running as hard as I could. He's just steady. Like I'm sweating. I'm drenched. He don't even have a spot of sweat on his t-shirt. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I'm running. Pretty soon, I just finally had to give in, right? And this, this, this guy passes me and I'm like, I have been passed by a 7,500 year old man. And, and I mean, it felt kind of bad. And, and if you had lined us up and you stood us next to each other, not that I'm some physical specimen, but you would have probably said, I think Brandon could probably outrun him just by looking at the outward appearance, but the reality of it was, he was much stronger inside than I was. And we can't always look externally. We can't always think that our external circumstances determines what happens inside. And so what Paul's telling them is, listen, they looked like they couldn't do anything externally on the outside according to the circumstances, but because of what God did in their heart internally, their hearts were stronger. They were able to sacrifice. They were willing to give in faith and trusting that God would take care of them. And so we see that in the severe trial, they found joy. We see that in extreme poverty, they 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 came to a place of rich generosity it doesn't make sense to the world but when we live according to the ways of Jesus nothing hardly ever makes sense but this is what God calls us this is who we are this is what he calls us to our generosity see is connected to and driven by our experience and understanding of grace in the gospel of Jesus and listen it's God's generosity it's God's generosity in giving us his Holy Spirit who gives us a new heart that sustains our generosity that when we come to this place where God's Spirit lives in us and we are surrendering to his Spirit he works in our heart to transform who we are. See, generosity becomes a burden when it's just a religious habit or obligation, but generosity becomes life-giving and a lifestyle when it comes from a heart transformed by grace. I'll say this to even tell you this, I don't want you, and this is not to be rude, this is not to be creed, this is for your good. I don't want you to give if you give out of guilt. I just don't, because it, it, it teaches you the wrong thing. It, it's, it's coming from the wrong place. Uh, it's not that we couldn't use it, we could, but here's the reality, I don't want you to give it if it's not coming from a place of grace and gratitude. Why? Because it teaches you just to obey something that you don't have in your heart. It's not something that you're doing out of love and joy for God. You're not a joyful giver. I want you to, I want you to give generously because of what God's done in your heart. Listen, I don't want you to serve if it's out of guilt and not gratitude. I don't want to come in here and let's talk about serving. You're like, well, I guess I got to do that. No, I want you to serve because of what God's done for you and how he served you. I don't want you to be in community in a connect group because, well, they said this is important. I got to. No, listen, sometimes you got to make yourself do things but that's not the point the point is in my heart of hearts at the core of my being I want to do this because I want to grow closer to God and closer to people and so I don't want you to live your life doing things just based off of I've got to do them what I want you to understand is that I, it's a, we, we can come to this place where when God's worked in our heart that we want to be generous, we want to serve, we want to be in community, those things become a part of who we are and a lifestyle, not just something we have to do. I talked with, a, I think it was nine people I ended up talking to this week and I asked them, I knew they were generous givers and I just simply asked them, in one sentence, why are you generous? And I want you to hear this. The first one said this, because the mission of God is important to me. The second one said, because it's fun. <laughs> Imagine that. I find joy in blessing people. Third one said this, because of all God has given me, I want to give back. Next one, God has given me so much, especially through Jesus' work on the cross, that I want to give back. He gives it to me so I can give it away. Another one, because I want other people to experience what I've experienced. Another one, to see the needs of people met. Another one, because I want others to experience the generosity of God's grace the way I have and because I believe the local church is the hope of the world. Because Another one, because God has given so much to me and it only makes sense to give back. Another one, it enhances my sense of freedom. When I give, I'm no longer bound to it. And I read those to you so that you can hear those and so that you can understand not one of those people who lives generously said, because, and I didn't prompt them, I just asked them the question. Not one of those people said, because you tell me I have to, or because God said I have to, or because I want to be saved, or because I want God to love me. Why do they do what they do? It's because of the work of God in their hearts, not something that's been enforced from the, on them from the outside. And so we see these people who are generous living because of heart transformation. Out of these same two verses, the second thing I would have you write down is this, that I want you to give because the work of Jesus in our midst, in this church, local church's midst, inspires you. In other words, it sets your heart on fire. See, we in the last three years, when we started keeping up with it, in the last three years, we've seen over 300 people be baptized. In the last three years, we've seen we're about 12 people shy of 300 salvations in the last three years. And see, for me, that gets me excited. For me, that inspires me. And I know you're like, well, you better be inspired. You're the pastor and you get paid to be here. Well, listen, listen, there's a lot of us who do what we do, not because we're inspired or because we love it, but because we just do it because that's all we know to do. I'm telling you, I do what I do because I'm inspired by the work of Jesus and I'm inspired to see Jesus continue to change lives. And I know that we're just seeing the beginning of what God wants to do. I want you to also understand that the church is the only thing you're going to invest in that's still going to be here in a 2,000 years. I want you to understand, that. listen, not even Walmart and Oprah Winfrey are going to be here in 2,000 years, I can guarantee you that. Nothing, but the church, the church is in, eternal. And when you invest in that, you're investing in something that never goes away. You're putting stuff in a place that Moth and Russ can't destroy. It's never taken from us. And, and, and we do that generously. See, how many of you, if I were to tell you today that if you give me $50, that by tomorrow you'll have $50 million? How many of you would take that? And it's legal, it's not unethical, you don't have to kill anybody. How many of you would take that, right? You would do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of you wouldn't, but you're obviously not a good business person. And so here's the deal. Yeah. And and, and I would take the deal, right? I'll give you 50, you know, you give me 50 million, let's do that, that's a good trade off, let's do that. And so here's what I want you to do real quick, I know maybe you're tired, I don't want you to go to sleep, but I want you to take just a few seconds, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think, what would I do with 50 million dollars? Just picture it in your head. Okay, now come back to broke reality, then let's let's continue. (laughs) I thought about this this week. What would I do? And I realized, like, I don't want anything big. I wouldn't do a whole lot. In fact, probably the first thing I would buy is this right here. I would probably go buy me one of those big Yeti coolers. I mean, I know I'm living big. I'd probably go get me a big Yeti cooler. And then if I'm going to go places with my Yeti, I need some flip-flops. need some new flip-flops because I stepped on a pop-top and blew out my flip-flops Anyway, and then I need a chair, right? And those chairs are incredible. I've sat in some kind of like that, and it feels like you're kind of in the air. It's it's awesome, right? Because you are in the air, and so it's really cool. And so um, I would want one of those. And then see, I don't want a lot. I don't want big things. And so the last thing I would get is an island. I'd want an island <laughs> for my yeti cooler, my flip flops, and my airless feeling chair, right? And so that's all I'd really want. And and so $50 million. But here's the thing. What if I told you though, that that $50 million had to sit in the bank overnight. You couldn't take it out. And by tomorrow morning, it would be gone. Meaning you lose your $50 and you lose your $50 million and you have nothing left. How many of you want to do that deal? Nobody, right? Because you lose on it. You lose on it. And, And it's gone like this. And see, the reality of it is guys, for us, when we store up treasure on 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 earth, what we end up with is is nothing. Somebody asked John Rockefeller's um, accountant, I love this, they asked his accountant after he died, they said, how much did he leave behind? The accountant's answer, all of it. I love that. Isn't that kind of I wish I was that smart, right? Just to come up with something like that. But the reality of it is he left all of it. And so do we. And so many times we're so earthly focused that we miss the greatest reality that is eternity and the kingdom of God. See, this earth is going to be renewed one day and we're going to live here in this new earth if we're Christians, if we're followers of Christ, a lot longer than we're going to live on this earth right now in this brief 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we are going to be here. How much are we storing up in heaven versus what we're storing up on earth? The Bible teaches us that when we give generously to God's kingdom, we store it up for eternity. We have to see this and I want you to understand the Bible also teaches about how quick life is and we can testify to this. James, in the book of James, he talks about life being like a mist or a vapor. Um, the King David in one of the Psalms, he tells us that life is like a hand's breath. In other words, if you take your thumb out, a hand's breath is typically thought of as that distance from one side of your hand to the other and he's saying in light of eternity, think of how small this really is. Live for God, don't live for this, this amount of time but live for God, live for Jesus. I don't know if you can see it, I kind of look like a middle schooler trying to grow a beard up here, I don't even know if you can tell, but, but I decided I'd like grow some facial hair, um, going straight Grizzly Adams in here, you know, and so um, I, I decided I'd grow it, um, and, and my wife is not crazy about it, so it won't be there very long, I can tell you, um, because she does not like it, but I think it's a point of maturity for my wife. I think God's trying to teach her that it's not about her, but it's about my beard. I think that's what he's trying to teach her. And so. I think he's teaching her through that. Um, but the thing I noticed as it started growing is that there's a lot of gray starting to appear in my beard. I don't hardly ever grow one and there's a lot of gray like in this area and there's also a lot starting to sprinkle in right here. And people try to make you feel better like it makes you look sophisticated. I'm like, no, it makes me look old. That's what it does. It makes me look old. And, and you know why we hate gray hair is because gray hair reminds us that the distance between um, alive and that is, is shorter, right? It's not as long as it used to be. And so we hate gray, but it goes like this. It goes like this. It seems like yesterday I was learning how to shave. And now I'm like, I got gray in my beard and I still can't grow one. That's what's bad. And so we realized this. But so we need to be passionate for what Jesus is doing now in the church because it's eternal. I want you to be passionate about that. If this is your church, and I want you to be passionate about what God is already doing. If it's not, if, if you're not passionate about it, then I would encourage you. And this is not out of a place of a bad heart. This is out of encouragement. I want you to be in a church where you believe in what God's doing in that church. I want you to be able to celebrate what God's doing in the midst of your local Christian community. Verses three and four, let's roll through these quickly. Verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. The next one I would tell you is that I want you to give because the vision God has for this church inspires you. I want you to give because of what he's already doing, but I also want you to give because we realize that the best is yet to come. The Macedonians' hearts were moved by the vision of God and of helping these these people in Jerusalem. Paul worked on this for over 10 years. But Paul knew at this point there was a lot more still to do. I want our hearts to be set on fire for what God wants to do in our community and beyond. So you See, we went from seven people almost six years ago to over 1,200 weekly right now. And that's great and that's good. And I can tell you the one thing I've learned about this over the last six years is it doesn't matter how good I preach. It doesn't matter how good anybody stands up here and preaches. It doesn't matter how good we sing. The thing that matters is if God is moving because we can't make that happen. So it's not a place of boasting in ourselves. It's a place of boasting in the Lord because I believe God wants us to continue reaching people and we just experienced the tip of the iceberg. There's more people to be reached. I I believe that with one-in-one, they're just supplying the money for so much of our vision. I believe that we still have duplexes to build over on our property. We've still got duplexes for transitional housing so we can take care of people when they need a fresh start. We can teach them to budget. We can teach them life skills. We can help them get a GED. We still got that to do. Listen, there are 20,000 plus college students here every year that that don't know Christ. There there are 20,000 plus college students who need to be reached. Every year in this community, they need to be reached, they need to be taught, they need to be trained, and they need to be sent out as missionaries into whatever part of the world they go into. And he's called us to do that. And you're going to find this statistic, this number, hard to believe, but there's still 45,000 plus unreached people in our very own county. Don't tell me that we've reached the, the, the pinnacle of what we can do. There are people all around us who need to know the gospel, who need to meet Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and have their hearts changed, their eternities altered. We've got churches to plant in other cities in Georgia. See, we're far from done. We've got churches to plant in countries overseas, some that have never heard the gospel. And we, we need to see this. We set a vision that we'd reach 10,000 people in the next 10 years. But how cool would it be if three, four, 5,000 of those people were in a country that had never even been able to enjoy the gospel of Jesus? But because we were generous with our time, we were generous with our finance, we were generous with all of our resources, people in other countries who would have never gotten to hear the name of Jesus are now worshiping God because of a little church in Statesboro, Georgia that lived generously and passionately for the gospel I want us to keep moving. Listen, he, he encourages them in, in uh, verses 10 through 12. Listen, you started this last year. Now bring it to completion. I would encourage some of you, listen, our one-in-one giving. Let's, let's bring it to completion. Let's fulfill our commitments. If you haven't made one, make one. Let's bring this to completion. Let's see this vision fulfilled. I believe with all my heart that God has greater things to do. And if he does it, it's not going to be done just through me. It's going to be done through us. God wants to use us to change this community and to be a part of changing the world. God, I want us to get that. I want us to see it. I want us to be inspired by it. Verse five, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. The next thing I would ask you or tell you is I want you to give because you surrendered to the Lord. See, Paul said in the Corinthians, or as he wrote to the Corinthians, he said that the Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord and then to the apostles, and then to Paul, and then to the church. See, if, if we're not a surrendered people, then we're just drawing a big crowd. We're not called to just draw a big crowd, we're called to draw people in so that they surrender to Jesus, so that the Spirit of God moves in them to a place where all that they have and all that they are and all that they ever will be becomes his. That's what he calls us into. See, you, you should probably wake up if you're asleep and write this down if you're not. That surrender is the positioning of the Christian that moves us from good intentions to an intentional lifestyle. See, that is the posture of a Christian as we surrender and follow God, that surrender is the positioning, surrender is the posture of the Christian that moves us from good intentions to an intentional lifestyle. See, God is much more interested in your surrender to him than he is the number of zeros on your check because he knows if I have their heart, then I can use them for my glory and for their good. Verse seven and eight. But just as you excel in everything, in faith in speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love and in love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The fifth thing is this, I want you to give because you are growing. He said, I'm going to compare your love and your, your maturity to the maturity of these Macedonians. I want to see where you're at in this. And, and listen, there's nothing, there's nothing that points to our maturity and our growth like our generosity, Generosity and growth go hand in hand. We can't become more like Christ, more like God if we're not growing um, and we can't become more like Christ and more like God if we're not generous because that is his, one of his hallmark characteristics. They go together. And see, Paul knew that the Corinthians, go read in first Corinthians, he knew that they were excelling in all of these different gifts. They were excelling in gifts like speaking in tongues and, and in prophecy and in faith. And in all this stuff. But Paul really challenges them right here. And he says, I want to see how you excel in gifts that aren't about you. What a challenge. He says, I know that you, you speak and tell, I know, and I'm great. I'm, I'm grateful that God does that in you. But let's see if you excel in this grace also. Grace. Uh, charis was, was basically what that is. And we get charisma from that word. Let's see if your gifts excel in the same way when it's not about you and it's about God's kingdom. And he really challenges us with that. And I want you to understand that the greatest sign of a spirit-filled believer is not if you can speak in tongues or if you have the faith to move mountains as some people will teach. I'll tell you the greatest sign of a spirit-filled believer is, if, is, is this. It is will I give others... What I have so that they can find what I found. Will I give others what I have so they can find what I found? Is that my heart? The last one and we're going to land this plane. Verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The last one, number six, I want you to give because the work Jesus did for you inspires you. So the very first one, I want you to give because the work Jesus did in you has transformed you. And the very last one, I want you to give because the work Jesus did for you inspires you. In other words, when you look at the cross and you look at what Jesus did for you, it moves you. Here's something else you could write down is generosity requires sacrifice. And we don't see anybody more generous than God who gave his son whom he loved to a bunch of people who were not uh, deserving of it, but he gave his son anyway because of his love for us. So generosity requires sacrifice. We see it in the most popular Bible verse that's in the Bible, John three sixteen. You know that when I that can quote it sometimes. If you hear a few weeks ago, I completely drew a blank on John three sixteen. Right? But God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thank God. From now on, every time I try to quote John three sixteen, I'll be nervous. But the reality of it is, guys, that that, that God loved and he gave. God loved, he's generous. God loved, he gave his son. And that's probably one of the most popular ones that we read. But I want to read you another one as we close this up. It's out of Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through um, 32 this is a, a popular verse most of us have probably heard it but it says and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose but see here's the thing on want you to notice. he works good but what is that good that good as we read it in context is us becoming like christ it's our growth our maturity it's us Going from this sinful person, this wretched person who meets Jesus, has a heart transformation, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and we begin to be transformed into the image of Christ. So listen to this. He says, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed. There's the good part. That's what He wants us to become, conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, our ultimate goal in life is to become like Christ, bringing glory to God. That's what he calls us to. Is our image being remade through the power of Jesus, not of anything that we could do, but through faith in him that he makes us like Christ. And he says, and those he predestined, listen to this, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. If we can just wrap our minds around that one verse, it is enough to make us want to give everything we have to the kingdom of God because we see the great majestic work that God has He takes a sinful person. He brings us through this process of justification that happens in an instant when we say yes to Jesus. We go through the process of sanctification, which is when we actually become more like Jesus. And then at the end of it all, when the renewed earth is established, when Jesus comes back, we give this this, this glorified state where we're forever more made in the image of Christ. And everything in creation begins to look and sing the praises of God. Took a bunch of wretched sinners who were bound for hell and he took us and he made us trophies of his grace that have been redeemed and now bring him glory that'll make you generous that will make you generous it'll make you live with a pep in your step it'll give you hope for the future no matter what the circumstances are today and I want you to understand that listen to verse 31 what then shall we say in response to this if God is for us who can be against us in other words to say this, he had to say, If God's for us, who can be against us? If he had just said, uh, Who's against us? there's an endless list. We have an endless list. You probably have people that don't like you. If you don't think you do, ask somebody. And then there's a thing we probably all do, and we've got other enemies. It's not just other people, we've got enemy. an enemy called sin, we've got an enemy called death. We've got an enemy called Satan. But Paul doesn't just say who's against us. He said if God is for us, who can be against us? Because the thing he knew and the thing he's teaching is that all of those enemies were overcome at the cross and the resurrection so that if God is for us and he has done all those things, then who can stand against us and keep us from the glorification that's one day gonna be ours? How amazing of a God do we have. See, that's why that's why i want to give i don't want to give because man somebody beat me over the head with a bible i want to give because the god of all gods redeemed a worthless piece of crap and he made him worth something that he can use in his kingdom so that no matter what anybody else says no matter what anybody else talks no matter what anybody else wants to say about me this church or you the thing that i know is that i am secure in christ and no one can take that away from me last one and we're gonna be done it says he who did not spare his own son but did what gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things how if he gave his son. He's saying, if you doubt that God's going to do this in you and for you, once you've said yes to the call, you've been justified, you're in this process of sanctification. If you think somehow God's going to withhold the glorification and this final triumph and final victory over the things of this world, he said, look to the cross. He didn't withhold his own son. Why would he withhold anything else? Why would he keep any good thing from you when he's already given his best? He loves you so much. He gave his best. I feel like so many weeks we come and we try to get you to see this. If, if, if you could just see the love that God has for your life, if you could just see the power of the gospel to transform you you wouldn't just sit there you would rush to the altar begging God for his spirit and we want you to get this so bad if you think I'm about your money then you've lost your mind yeah I don't do this for your money I do this because I want your heart to be in the hands of God and I want your soul to be in the hands of God for eternity but listen I don't want money and materialism and the things of this world to rob you of the greatest joy that is relationship with Jesus and that lasts for eternity and if you'll just surrender your life to him and you give it to him he will transform your heart and you'll begin to live a life as you constantly walk through this sanctification process that you'll look back on in six months a year five years and go I don't even recognize the person that God is creating is that what you want though do you want to know him do you want to experience Him? do you realize what he's given you do you realize what he's done do you realize the gift of his son Do you understand that? How huge this is. How far we were separated from him and how big the gap that he bridged so that we could know him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why we're generous because of the generosity of God that's invaded our heart. I so badly want you to experience that and walk in that. It's up to you. I believe this. I believe God's calling people's names today and saying, yes, I want you to come to me. But the response is up to you. You say yes to his his invitation. Listen, today, maybe there's something in your heart that's, that's keeping you from him, and you need to surrender that. Don't let anything stand in the way of you and him. There's nothing that's worth that. This is what I want to ask you. I want to to challenge you just to close your eyes for just a minute. And we're going to get out of here. We're seven minutes past. But I want you to ask God, Lord, is there anything that's keeping me from from coming to you? Is there anything that's hindering me from following you? And I'm going to pray. I just want you to keep letting God speak to your hearts. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity just to be in your word, the opportunity to hear your gospel. God, we've gone over, but I know, God, you want to do things in our heart. God, just do a great work in us. God, as someone here today is is hearing you call their name for the first time, Lord, I pray that they would respond. I pray they would say yes to that call. They would experience the, the weight of sin lifted off their shoulders, the power of justification, and begin this journey with us as we walk through this sanctification process of becoming like you. Today I want to ask you as you pray you keep praying you just keep praying and seeking God asking God to speak to your hearts I want to ask you though you're here and you you don't know him you never said yes to him but today God has been calling he's been knocking on your heart and saying here I am and today you know that today is the day that you need to respond to this gospel I don't care how long you've been around church I'm telling you today may be the day of salvation if he's knocking on the door of your heart I want you to say yes And I want you to to, to show that. God said that if we're not ashamed of Jesus before man, then he won't be ashamed of us before his Father. And I'm going to ask you to do something incredibly bold right now. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to stand up. While everybody else is praying, you say yes to the call of God, to the call of Jesus today. You hear him calling you, and today, for the first time, you would say yes. I'm going to ask you to stand right, right now, right to your feet. Just stand up and let us celebrate with you. Just stand to your feet. He's calling you right now you say yes to that call Well, listen I'm going to finish praying and as I pray if there's something in your heart you know you need to surrender I'm going to ask you you come to the front you kneel let us pray with you we got connect group leaders prayer prayer warriors here today that will come and pray with you I'm going to pray if you if don't come to the front just, just ease out the back Get your baby bottle let's be generous with that but if we can pray with you there's something in your heart you know i need to surrender this today i don't know if it's something with your kids with your spouse with your job with uh, just money in general but i'm gonna pray you you begin to move i'm gonna pray you begin to move god thank you so much thank you for your love and your grace god we surrender it all to you today let us walk out of here different god because you transform our heart God, we give you the the, the praise for your grace Thank you for generosity. Thank you for teaching us what that is. We love you. I thank you for this group of people. I love them so, God. I pray you'll continue to work in them. Do a great work in them, God, and do a great work through us, Lord. We love you, God, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.